I once believed that religion was primarily a matter of scriptures, creeds, and rituals. But over the years, I've changed my mind about the nature and object of religion. I've come to realize that religion is not so much about believing as it is about living. It is not so much about meaning as it is about passion. It is not so much about doctrines as it is about waking up, about being fully alive in the awareness of the present moment. I agree with what Ralph Waldo Emerson once wrote in his journal. Religion, he said, is neither beliefs nor rituals. It is life. It is not something else to be got, to be added, but is a new life of those faculties which you have. For me, the essence of religion is waking up, becoming alive. When I was a child, I used to say the familiar prayer, Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now my prayer is simply to wake up before I die. (laughs) Most of the time it appears to me as though we are sleepwalking through life, anesthetized, distracted, dulled alike to joy and pain. We We become mired in everyday routine. Whole chunks of it go by in a flash. When did my children get so big? Where did all of these wrinkles and white hairs come from? How did I get where I am today? It's been my reading of the transcendentalists that has led me to this conclusion. The insistence that every moment is precious, that we must make the most of each one of them, that the greatest challenge of life is to wake up before we die, and that this is what religion is really all about, these are characteristics of transcendentalist spirituality and part of the living legacy of transcendentalism. In one of Emerson's poems, he writes that the days of our lives offer us gifts which we may either accept or refuse. Forgetting his morning wishes, that is to say, his youthful aspirations, Emerson hastily takes only a few herbs and apples. Too late does he realize the lost opportunity. The same is true for us. I venture to say, every day offers us gifts that we are too busy or too distracted to appreciate. Now, no one was more insistent on this score than Henry David Thoreau. In 1845, he went out to Walden Pond to contemplate the purpose of life. He wrote Walden, he said, in an effort to wake his neighbors up. Why is it that human beings give so poor an account of their day if they have not been slumbering, he asks. He knew, as we should also know, that only in the present moment can there be happiness or change or growth. Life only exists in the here and now. We are always getting ready to live, Emerson said. There is very little life in a lifetime. Only by making the most of every moment can we be assured of living life to its fullest. Now, this may seem obvious or even superficial, When you're young and it appears you have your whole life in front of you, you think you have plenty of time to spare. As we get older, however, there is a poignant urgency to savor experience as fully as possible. As with so many things, this is easier said than done. 
Awareness is the key, obviously. The best way, indeed the only way, to capture moments is to pay attention. Attentiveness means waking up. All this, this may seem simple, it is not necessarily easy. Our habitual lack of awareness, our tendency to be distracted and dissatisfied, keeps us pretty well benumbed. To wake up, to achieve awareness, takes discipline. It takes practice. This is what the cultivation of the soul is all about. As Thoreau so memorably observed, only that day dawns to which we are awake. Becoming aware means simply being present in the moment. We are not trying to improve ourselves or to get somewhere else. We can do this at, in any place at any time, taking each moment as it comes. This is what I call contemplation, a practice that I find most congenial to my own spiritual temperament. Thoreau went out to Walden Pond to cultivate attentiveness, but the universe coalesces at every point in space and time, such that any moment and any place can be a gateway to the infinite. God culminates in the present moment, he wrote, and will never be more divine in the lapse of all the ages. And we are enabled to apprehend what is sublime and noble by the perpetual instilling and drenching of the reality that surrounds us. I find that wherever I am, even in the midst of the city, I'm able to catch glimpses of the sublime if I take the time to slow down and look. While Thoreau was living at the pond, he would often sit in his doorway for hours and simply watch and listen as the sun moved across the sky and the light and shadows changed almost imperceptibly. There were times, he said, when I could not afford to sacrifice the bloom of the present moment to any work, whether of the head or hand. I grew in those seasons like corn in the night, and they were far better than the work of the hands would have been. They were not time subtracted from my life, but so much over and above my usual allowance. I realized what the Orientals mean by contemplation and the forsaking of works. Contemplation is an important part of my own spiritual practice. I hesitate to call it meditation because it does not involve formal exercises of the body, breathing, or brain. It is a relaxed awareness. Behind my home, I have a small Chinese-style garden, in one secluded corner of which, weather permitting, I sit in a chair, as Thoreau did in his sunny doorway. The hours I linger there are measured not by, are measured by the movement of the sun, not by the hands of a clock. I listen to the birds and watch them bathe in the nearby bird bath. I muse and daydream, read and write. The news and social media are strictly off limits. Although I do not think of this practice in practical terms, I find it is the most productive and well-spent period of my day. If I could re recommend anything, it would be that like Thoreau, we savor the moment-to-moment -moment unfolding of the present. We are so busy hurrying about trying to get ahead of the person in the lane next to us that one day we will discover that we have simply rushed through life 
and now it is gone. As John Kabat-Zinn writes, who is to say that Thoreau's realization of one morning spent in his doorway are less memorable or have less merit than a lifetime of busyness lived with scant appreciation for stillness in the bloom of the present moment. He was teaching a lesson as important today as it was in his own time, pointing out for the rest of us the importance of contemplation and detachment. In keeping with Thoreau's insistence that we must learn to reawaken and keep ourselves awake, the transcendentalist engaged in a number of spiritual practices aimed at achieving this result. These were part and parcel of what they called self-culture. While the term sounds a little quaint to the modern ear, it means quite simply the cultivation of the soul. Their practice, which I have long since adopted in a modest way as my own, consisted of walks in nature, contemplation, periods of solitude, reading, journal writing, religious cosmopolitanism, conversation with friends, simple living, and what they called action from principle. The transcendentalists held that spirituality required an outward manifestation of inward aspirations. For them, the moral and the spiritual were necessarily interrelated. Accordingly, they sought to achieve a congruence between their spiritual insights and ethical actions in all areas of their lives. Many religious liberals have expressed a desire for more spiritual depth in their lives and their churches. They have found spiritual richness in Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, goddess religion, paganism, and other religious faiths. I have discovered it in my own tradition. As Unitarian Universalist scholar David Robinson once observed, like a pauper who searches for the next meal, never knowing of the relatives whose will would make him rich, American Unitarians lament their vague religious identity, standing upon the richest theological legacy of any American denomination. Possessed of a deep and sustaining history, of spiritual achievement and philosophical speculation, religious liberals have been ironically dispossessed of that heritage. The heritage he refers to is that of transcendentalism. In my own writing and my own everyday spiritual practice, I have tried to reclaim that heritage. More than anything else, the transcendentalists, Emerson and Thoreau in particular, have instructed me in the art of life. In his journal, The Intimate Record of His Inner Life, Thoreau wrote the following. The art of life. Was there anything memorable written upon it? By what disciplines to secure the most life? With what care to watch our thoughts? To observe what transpires not in the street, but in the mind and heart of me. I do not remember any page which will tell me how to spend this afternoon. I do not so much wish to know how to economize time as how to spend it, by what means to grow rich, that the day may not have been in vain. How to live, how to get the most life, that is my everyday business. The art of spending a day. If it is possible that we may be addressed, it behooves us to be attentive, 
if by watching all day and all night I may detect some trace of the ineffable, then will it not be worth the while to watch? In my own modest way, I have attempted to adopt the disciplines they developed for securing the most life. Through contemplation and solitude, reading and conversations with friends, walks in nature, and simple living, I find myself better able to observe what transpires not in the street but in the mind and heart of me. And occasionally, I have detected some trace of the ineffable, and that has made all the difference. Amen.